Looking for health info? This is Health U's House Call, part of Hackensack Meridian Health's podcast. We're here to provide you with the tools and resources to make informed decisions about your health. Here, our expert providers will provide you with wellness tips, information, and general health advice. This is House Call. There are many birth control options available, including an intrauterine device, also known as an IUD. IUDs have become pretty popular for their convenience and long-term usage. However, as opposed to using on the fly, like condoms or even taking a daily pill, an IUD has to be inserted into the uterus by a medical professional. So there's been some confusion online about how an IUD is placed, if it's painful, um, just a lot of questions about it. So we brought in OBGYN Dr. Nidhi Misra to help us break it all down and explain um, just what you can expect during an insertion. So Dr. Misra, thanks so much for coming in and having this conversation with us. Thank you. Looking forward to it. Really appreciate it. So I guess let's just start from the basics. Can you tell us what an IUD is? Right. So um, I think, Katie, you summed it up really well because you said um, it's a long-acting contraceptive. You know, two key words here. One, it's a contraceptive. Yes, it will prevent pregnancies. It does not prevent any STDs. It prevents only pregnancies. And the second key word I think that you used was um, long-acting. So in in uh, in the field of OBGYN, we also call them as LARCs, that is long-acting reversible contraceptives. So you used exactly those two key things that they're, one, it's long-acting, and two, it is a contraceptive. So it is a small little device that goes that we help insert into the uterus and it stays in the uterus till you're ready to take it out. There are two different kinds, if you would like me to go over two different kinds of um, IUDs that are there. Yeah, Um, definitely. I'd love to hear. One is a hormonal IUD, and the other is a non-hormonal IUD, because there are a lot of our patients who don't want any kind of hormones. The non-hormonal IUD is something that has a copper, which is also called as a copper IUD, and the trade name for that is Patagard. And the hormonal IUD, there are two kinds, and they contain uh, progesterone. They contain only a single kind of hormone, which is a progesterone hormone, um, also called as levonorgestrel, which is uh, marketed as Mirena or Liletta. There are two different kinds. And um, th- these, both these hormonal and non-hormonal IUDs are inserted into the uterine cavity um, at the medical office by an OBGYN and um, they work to prevent uh, pregnancies by um, changing the changing uh, the milieu of the um, lining of the uterus, as well as uh, preventing any kind of, uh, you know, slowing down the sperm motility and various me- mechanisms by which it prevents pregnancy. That's so interesting. So you mentioned about the lining of the uterus. So that is that for the hormonal and non-hormonal or do they work differently they work slightly differently i would say because one has hormones and one doesn't the one that is copper is typically um will create this little bit of a, a hostile environment inside for the embedding of the embryo so it prevents that from happening. so it prevents it from sticking Right. Exactly. Okay. Exactly. So the and uh, also it prevents um, um, the sperm motility. So it slows down the sperm motility. So to begin with, the 
there is a there is a thought that it will prevent the sperm from going into you know the fallopian tubes for fertilization how does it do that because the copper will slow the <clears throat> just the presence of copper being yes. there it's not like cuz it's a pretty small device so it's not like it's like continually releasing something right or just the presence itself does that uh, i would say both it is continuously um uh, release the copper as well as the progesterone. So progesterone, on the other hand, will give you, um, you know, a, a, a slowing and it changes the mucus and it does, um, you know, the lining and it changes the lining to a certain extent. So it prevents, again, um, the fertilized egg to come in and get embedded or stick into the lining. And both progesterone, levonorgestrel, is released um, at, at a very, you know, microgram level. So um, almost 20 micrograms per day is released out of this IUD every day locally inside the uterus. That's pretty wild because... Yeah. Imagine from 20 my micrograms. Research, it, but these can last for 10 years, right? So copper is good for 10 years. Uh, however, um, the IUD, the, the progesterone IUD is good for seven. It's still a really long time for something to just be Slowly. working in your body. Yeah. You know? So for, with the progesterone IUDs, there are different kinds. So it depends on the level of the progesterone. So typically, most patients get the Mirena, which is 52 milligrams of progesterone in it, or Lilata, which is 52 milligrams. And then there are lesser, you know, a sm even smaller device uh, like Skyla or Kylina, which have 20 micrograms, uh, I'm sorry, 20 milligrams and 19 milligrams of um progesterone embedded into the IUD. So they don't last for seven years, mm -hmm. but they do last for like two to three years. From what I know just about birth control use and hormones and, and stuff like that, hormones can can make you a little crazy. So the the IUD that has hormones in it, does, does it typically have a reaction where you could, you know, feel a little you know, moodier yeah. or irritable so, or anything like that? A lot of times, I mean, ideally speaking, it should not do that, mm -hmm. ideally, right? Because it's released um, at a microgram levels inside the uterus. Out of that, even a smaller fraction, if any, is absorbed into the bloodstream. So ideally, it should not do that. However, I mean, there are often times when patients will complain of a little bit of feeling a little depressed. Mm -hmm. I don't know if this is actual, um, actually what the patient feels versus it's just that emotionally or mentally you might think, oh, I have a hormonal device, so I'm supposed to feel that way. You know, it's very hard for me to say that. Yeah. I've had patients, you know, um, where they have complained of acne, worsening of acne with progesterone. Again, should not ideally happen. Does it happen? Yes. So we try to, uh, you know, calm the patient and address all their concerns. Um, but ideally, it should not give rise to all this. Um, but most sometimes patients are very sensitive. Yeah. The most common side effect um, that we see is irregular spotting. Okay. That can happen because it disturbs the lining. And so the lining of the uterus is getting... Um, so think of it, you know, instead of 
everything growing together, all the cells. Now some cells might grow at a different rate. So there is irregular bleeding because it breaks down at different times. So especially in the first three months, until it stabilizes the lining of the uterus, you can get that. So what is it doing to the lining of the uterus? I thought it was kind of making it like, you know, slippery or, you know. <laughs> so it prevents sticking. <laughs> yeah. <clears throat> what it does is it thins the lining of the uterus. Okay. So the constant progesterone, it prevents it from growing. Mm, so okay. what that does, it, it progressively becomes thinner and thinner. So think of, you know, as we grow older, the skin gets thinner and thinner. Sometimes it breaks down. You can get bruised easily. Mm. So something like that, I mean, it's a very, uh, not the best analogy, but something like that um, can happen inside the uterus where the lining is so thin that sometimes you get a breakdown. And that can happen even with birth control pills. The lining gets so thin. That's why patients get lighter and lighter periods progressively on any birth control. Mm. That's so interesting. So you had also mentioned that it's, what did you say, it was micrograms of yes. like a hormone? Yes. Is there anything physical you can compare that to so that I would know like what a microgram size is? It's like less than a grain of rice. Is that right? Much lesser than a grain of rice. One milligram, and you're talking about 20 micrograms, you know, so it's yeah. really tiny. It's amazing that it can have that effect from such a yeah. small change, I guess. So... Also, just thinking about, you know, how this affects your body, having an IUD shouldn't, it shouldn't, I guess, alter your period unless, like you said, it may make it lighter, right? But it's not like one of the contraceptives where you take it and you just won't have a period. Well, that happens too, actually. Oh, yeah? It happens more commonly than you would expect it to. And that's one of the advantages of, um, you know, patients with um, a hormonal IUD, because Patients often have, after you know childbirth especially, sometimes you know, you're so busy, there's so much stress, you can have heavy periods, but this works out so beautifully because it not only prevents pregnancy, but it's also FDA approved the hormonal IUDs for bleeding. So if you're somebody who suffers from really heavy periods, this will thin down the lining and either make it really light or no period at all just minimal spotting every great, month. But then how do you know if you're, how would you know that you're not pregnant if you're just not getting your period for month on month? You might think, oh, I have an IUD. Right. You know, or well, I guess the, what are the percentage, the percentage of it being effective? Yeah, against, so uh, th that's a great question because 99.9% it's effective. Wow. It's that high because it takes out the compliance issue from the patient's perspective. Right. Because yeah, you're it's not, not like, missing a pill. Exactly. Or you're not, exactly. not using a condom or something like that. Correct. Okay. Correct. So it takes out the compliance part of it. Um, I mean, every birth control is supposed to be very, very effective. Um, however, birth control pills or condoms are not as effective simply because the compliance, you know, right, the patient of use, might miss if a you pill. forget or you miss. Exactly. Yeah. And this takes away from that. So you are just going to. Um, you have the IUD, you know, and it's working. Yep, you're just living life. Yes, uh, the chances of you getting pregnant are really, really low. But say you do miss a period or you think you're pregnant, you get some signs, 
you, the first thing you need to do is to contact your provider because now remember, we have this device sitting inside the uterus, right? It can um, definitely, the, the pregnancy can um, be, you know, start growing outside of the uterus, which is also called an ectopic pregnancy. Oh yeah, pregnancy. you don't want that. Yeah. So does it really, um, I mean, the chance of ectopic is there. However, the chance of you getting pregnant to begin with is extremely low. So that, that chance that, that you've gotten pregnant and then having an ectopic is definitely there. Is, is, is very small, but yeah. there. Right. Are, are IUDs relatively new? I just feel like it wasn't like a common, a common place for people to be like, oh, I have an IUD. I mean, I You'll don't be know. surprised. Yeah. Actually, they are very, very old. If you look historically, um, there are various things people have used, inserted into the uterus to prevent pregnancies. Um, many, many years ago, maybe in the 50s, I believe, I will not be able to give you the exact dates. Um, there was something called as Lippy's Loop, where it it was, was just as Lippy Loop. Lippy's Loop. <laughs> oh, Lippy's Loop. Okay. Yeah. And <laughs> this particular thing is exactly it looks like a very funky looking loop-like thing, or like a Z or something that people had inserted into the uterine cavity to prevent pregnancy. No hormone, nothing. It had nothing. No copper. Uh, was it effective? I guess it was because you know people were doing it in the uh, in the past, uh, but then you know things have really changed and we've come to this point where we have like copper IUDs which are extremely extremely effective, and then you have these um, you know other IUDs which are very effective as well. The progesterone IUDs. Um, and they uh, also are, you know, prevent excessive bleeding. So copper IUD can actually give you a little heavier period, normal to heavier, because it has got no hormone, so you continue with your cycle. So that could be one of the things that patients come back and say, hey, I don't, do not have, um, you know, a progesterone IUD, but I, I get my period every month, but now they're progressively getting heavier. So the reaction of the body, there's a mild endometritis kind of picture that can give rise to heavier bleeding, you know. So the copper is acting the same, I guess, as the hormone was in making the uterine lining not... Hostile. Hostile. Okay. Yeah, right. That's a Not right inviting. Get out. Not inviting. <laughs> because it, it's like a foreign body sitting inside. Yeah. Right. So... Um, that's the reason why. And that's exactly how historically, you know, other IUDs have worked, you know, like a foreign body sitting inside. In fact, you know, um, just recently I did um, the patient, this is so funny because patient completely forgot her last childbirth was 21 years ago. She, she had a kid 21 years ago, her last girl, and um, went into menopause after maybe eight or nine years ago and then suddenly came to me and she's now 58 or 59 came to me with some bleeding so of course postmenopausal bleeding is definitely a serious thing mm -hmm. never told me that she had an IUD or anything like that because she herself completely forgot so it was just hanging out in there hanging out in there <laughs> oh, gosh. and um, I did her exam 
the strings were not visible because, you know, there are strings to mm-hmm. um, pull them out eventually. Um, sent her for an IUD, for an ultrasound, and it came back as IUD. And I, I was shocked because the patient really never said anything to me. So I bring her back into the office and I say, hey, did you know you have an IUD? She said, oh my God, I totally forgot. <laughs> she you probably know? thought, you know, it was 21 like, years ago. Yeah. So 21 years, she had this IUD. Wow. Didn't know it was in there still. Completely forgot. It's like so uh, hassle-free is one of the things that I want to mm-hmm. highlight, you know, that completely forgot about it and then realized, um, of course, we had to take her, I had to do a DNC because uh, I couldn't take it out in the office. Mm, so I okay. had to do a DNC, take it out. And of course, the, we could sample the u- uterine lining because this is postmenopausal bleeding then. So we right. have make, to make sure, sure it's not like uterine cancer or anything it, like anything that. Anything bad. Yeah. What does DNC stand for? I know it's dilation and curatage. And that's so we just have to dilate to the cervix and then we kind of like scrape the lining. Exactly. Yeah. Curatage it. Crazy. All right. So this well, was we've done a lot of background on it. Yeah. And I kind of want to just talk about like a patient coming into the office, like step by step, what they can expect. Because I think at least from what I'm seeing online, people are a little afraid Nervous. of it. And so I've seen some people kind of do like a first person perspective, like, OK, I'm going in. This is what, you know, I'm getting changed into my gown. You think you can just kind of like talk us through right. like so- what the patient journey looks like? So once the patient, you know, um, on any of our, my visits when I'm discussing contraception and the patient kind of shows an inclination that she may be interested in an IUD or verbalizes that she is really interested in um, an IUD, I go through, um, you know, I show them, a, I have a model in the office. I show them that, okay, hey, look, this is what the IUD looks like. This is what it's going to look like when it's inside the uterus because the, it's a model of a uterus. So that gives them a good idea. I give them information. She goes home makes an appointment. Uh, now, IUD insertions can be done <clears throat> at any time during her menstrual cycle. Mm-hmm. It's not important that it has to be done only during periods. Um, Wouldn't you want it to be done not during a period? I would think during the period it would just make it more complicated because there's a lot going on in there. <laughs> right. <laughs> well, that, that, that's one good way, one way of thinking about it. Um, but the other thing is, you know, you're 100% sure that the patient's not pregnant, oh, one. True. Two, when you're bleeding, the cervix is slightly open, so it's easier insertion. Okay. Yeah. It's not like I'm going to insert it, you know, when she is has a full-blown period, you know, not on the first, second day, because then, the, you know, I'm also nervous that the iodine can be pushed out by the clots or anything that's coming out so I would do it if the patient wants and agrees and um, especially somebody who's had a c-section or something you know and I think that maybe the insertion can be a little harder then I would call them on the fourth or the fifth day of the period when it's much lighter and you know still I'm sure patient's not pregnant and doesn't Mm -hmm. want to take any other birth control but there is no real reason um, to calling the patient only during period, you know. Yes, these are hypothetical or 
um, practical reasons, I would say. But there is no, ACOG doesn't, and ACOG is American College of OBGYNs, does not recommend that you cannot insert it during like any mid cycle. Yeah. It's just that you have to make sure that the patient's not pregnant. What happens if they are pregnant? Well, if you, if the patient's unsure, so um, often, uh, and I can give you a really good example, I had a young girl. She had one kid, came in uh, for IUD insertion. Um, it was not on her period. She's been my patient for many years. And um, and I asked her, I said, hey, uh, when was the last time you had sex? You know, um, She said, I've not had sex since my period. Okay. So that gives you an idea that, okay, she cannot be pregnant. Mm-hmm. Um, patient is telling you that. She kind of didn't tell me the whole truth, I guess. And I did insert it. Because if you insert it and patients had sex, um, even though we do a pregnancy test on the day of insertion, um, it can be that the patient could have had sex a week ago. Yeah, it's just not showing not up in yet. in that yeah. window, okay. you know. And it, that's what exactly happened with this patient. She had had sex, didn't tell me about it. Um, I inserted it. Patient ended up with an ectopic pregnancy with the oh, IUD no. in place. The next cycle, you know, like she missed the period the same cycle right. when, when I inserted. So, yeah, that was like a huge learning thing as well. You know, like not that we don't trust our patients, but um, it's just that, you know, now I'm more, you know, hey, please tell me the truth. This is yeah, what has happened like, to me. There's no problem you know? here. If yeah. you had sex, fantastic. Yeah. Just we don't want to put it yeah. in if you can be pregnant. Oh, that's... So that's how. But okay. um, so once I give them the pamphlets and I give them all the information to read, they come back, make their appointment on their convenient, um, uh, at their convenience uh, to come back for an IUD insertion. Coming back to what you had asked me, mm-hmm. how step by step. Once they come in, um, we take a urine sample. We make sure they're not pregnant. We ask all the questions. Hey, are you telling me the truth? No sex. You know <laughs> that is the kind of the most important question. Right. And uh, once all of that is determined, and we know that okay, the patient's not pregnant, and um, uh, we bring her into the room after taking a quick set of vitals. The patient undresses, waist down. I just had a question. I'm sorry. I'm going yeah. back to the ectopic pregnancy because of the IUD. Is it that the IUD was like, hey, these walls aren't good. Don't land here. And then the egg went somewhere else to land. Is that how that happens? So the progesterone IUD will slow everything down. It slows the, the motility of the 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 tube, the ov- or, you know, the fertilized egg, everything. And plus, yes, it's inside the uterine cavity. So it is occupying. Yeah, it's in its um, spot. Yeah, the spot. And though, even though, um, I mean, yes, this patient had an ectopic pregnancy for whatever above reasons, but um, it can also happen that uh, patients get pregnant. Ectopic means, I'm sorry, we should stop too. So the ectopic pregnancy means that the fertilized egg, it's still in the tubes? In the tube. Yeah. Anywhere but the uterine where it's supposed to be. It's ectopic. All right. You know, it could be in the tube, it could be in the ovary, it could be in the abdominal cavity, you know, but mm-hmm. tube is the most common, right? Yeah. And um, though we have seen patients who uh, uh, get pregnant and fertilized, the, the egg is fertilized, The I'm sorry, the fertilized egg is, uh, or the embryo is embedded in the uterus. 
it's just that the uterine, the, the cavity, uh, the IUD is lower in the uterine cavity. So the upper area is empty and the pregnancy embeds there. So then we have a patient who has a good pregnancy mm -hmm. in the uterus with an IUD in place. In that and case, then you could just, just take the IUD yeah, out. Okay. The recommendation is to pull it out. Yeah, I don't think you'd want the baby to pull it out on their way out. Yeah, you don't want that. That's true. Yeah. Okay. All right. So you're in the office. You're not pregnant. You're, I guess, going through these questions. What happens then? Correct. We take an informed consent, make sure the patient really wants it, um, discuss the risks and benefits again, um, and consent the patient. Following which the patient will undress waist down, lie down comfortably. It's like getting a pap smear, mm -hmm. right? So the same thing, you know, um, a speculum is inserted. Like the little duck looking tool? Correct. Exactly. Okay. Yep. I, I like that analogy, the duck looking tool. <laughs> tool. <laughs> Makes it less scary, you know? It's still not great, but. <laughs> so, um, yeah, once that is inserted, um, we have to check the length of the uterus to make sure what and we have a little device where we can check that. And um, of what course, what are you before, looking for from the length? I guess just on like IUD placement then? Correct. So everybody's uterus can, so average length of the uterus from the, from the fundus or the top of the uterus to the cervix is about seven to eight centimeters. Sometimes patients can have fibroids or sometimes patients have heavier bleeding or have had multiple pregnancies and this length can go up to nine centimeters, you know. Mm -hmm. So you don't want to, it helps us judge how deep inside you have to insert the IUD mm -hmm. and um, so that it's not lower in the uterus, not yeah. you know, it's occupying where, or it's sitting where it's supposed to sit. Right. You know? okay. So, um, of course, we prep the cervix before um, with betadine or make it, you know, under sterile conditions and then check the length. And then the IUD is a very simple thing to insert, you know, and then you making it sterile. Are you just using like betadine swab, swab sticks? Okay. Yeah. Like a Q-tips, big mm -hmm. Q-tips. Okay. All right. So we're getting ready for it to come in. I, I watched a video earlier. And it was somebody, you know, doing this prep, and they had this ginormous needle for numbing. Is that normal? I have actually never numbed anyone. No. No. I don't think it's needed. Okay. All right. I mean, the needle looked terrifying, but I could imagine n no numbing is also terrifying, so I don't know. You'll be surprised. Um, you know, most of the times, you don't need to dilate the cervix. The cervix is open, mm -hmm. especially if the patient's had kids, mm -hmm. you know. So most of the time, I'm telling you, I have never used any numbing medication. Interesting. And patients All right, so I guess screaming. let's talk about maybe I why you'd want to use a numbing, because I know it's like there's like clamps and things, and like yeah. how does the IUD hook on? Like, yeah. I, I don't know. Let's so keep going. <laughs> to, uh, the clamp, so, sometimes you do have to use a clamp to kind of stabilize the cervix and to stabilize the uterus, um, you know, so that it's not like um, kind of moving at mm -hmm. the time of insertion. So sometimes you do have to. And the other reason why you would use a clamp is if you have to really dilate, you know, the cervix. And if why that, would you need to do that if you can't? If like, the cervix is tightly closed okay. or, you know, like very young girls, adolescents, when we use, when they want an IUD, sometimes 
the cervix is tightly closed. Mm -hmm. So in that case, you put a little clamp and it's more like what the patient has described to me is like a little little pinch-like feeling, mm -hmm. you know, and um, and then you measure the uterus, uterine length and you can insert it. Sometimes, and it's really rarely, uh, you know, that you cannot really insert to measure. It's a very, very thin, um, like, a, a, like a tube that we use, which is graduated with different markings on the tube to measure the uterine length. Right, and it's not that thick. It's think of it like a, you know, like how a pen refill, mm -hmm. the inside part, right? The refill, the pen, um, and it's exactly like a tube look that looks like that. Mm -hmm. It's called a pipelles, and I generally use that um, just to measure the uterine cavity. Yeah, and that works well. It's sterile. It's prepackaged, and you can dispose it off after. Uh, there are uh, metallic devices, which are called as uterine sounds, which are there, which traditionally a lot of people do use. Um, but I think it's more scary for the patient. You know, this is flexible and it's easy to insert and, you know. So wait, what use. is the other one? It's, it's metallic. It's metal. And oh. Again, graduated tube-like solid metal structure or like a device. So why would use. a physician choose to use that over... Because that's what is um, is traditionally available okay. to do. It's called a uterine sound device. You know, you sound the uterus to how long it is. Hmm. That's what it is. Because it's a, it's a blind procedure. Think of it, you know, I don't know. I'm just pushing it into the uterus, doing everything by feel, making sure that, okay, now I've reached the fundus and I take it out to then see, oh, how long did I, what's the length of this that went, went into the uterine cavity? Mm-hmm. Right. So once that is done, and honestly, I rarely ever have to use even the stabilizing clamp. Okay. Rarely. Um, if once I put the speculum in and I see that the cervix appears like it's dilated a little bit, which most patients, you know, like if you've had kids, definitely it's open, especially if you've had a even if it's delivery. a C-section. Most of the time, yes, because most patients who end up with a C-section and um, will have gone through labor to some extent. Okay. Right. Yeah. So it does open up. It's not like it's not open, you know. So, and there are times when it's when I feel that I'm inserting this little sounding device and it's not going in. Even that little thin thing doesn't go in. So then the angle is different or... You know, so in that cases, only in those cases that I will use the little clamp to stabilize and then insert it. And most of the time it goes in, you know? Yeah. Um, and then um, once I know what it is sounding to, I take out the device and the, the IUD, the, uh, the deployment of this IUD, as we call it, with that, um, it's a self-loading little device that is there and it is exactly the same width you know it's like two millimeter maybe three or four millimeters if anything and then so you insert an it. iud is looks like a little t yeah right but it's all but when folded. it's folded before it goes in correct okay. it's all folded the arms everything is inside the little tube mm -hmm. then it just 
go walks into the uterus and then you deploy it. Like it's just a and then it just hangs thing. out there. It doesn't need to. Does it need to be in like a specific spot? Well, that's how. That's why we sound the uterus. Okay. That's a good question because yeah. if I don't know what is the length of the uterus, how will I know where to deploy it? So you go to the fundus, and once you've hit, you know, you touch the fundus, you can feel on that. So you think of it like this. And um, if I'm inserting and I can feel that fundus, I come back just a tiny bit deploy the IUD, I know it's right in place. And then when I take out the tube, you know, it comes off and um, the string is very long. I have to then cut the string to like three centimeters. Like a tampon. The yeah. insertion and then the strings. Yeah, but the strings are, uh, the tampon strings are longer, right? This you want to cut it short right next to the cervix. And one of my Yeah, patients, you don't want it hanging out no <laughs> you don't want it hanging out because one it's uncomfortable two yeah. um uh, with her period the patient can pull out the iud with the oh, tampon yeah. yeah you know so you want to cut it short towards the cervix and then most importantly you know and this is a trick that one of my patients actually taught me you know in fact today when i inserted an iud this morning i told my patient i said don't tell your partner that there is a string. Just say that doctor has cut the string really short. Dr. Mishra has just cut off the string, you know. And um, because she, one of my patients told me this, the moment you tell your partners there's a string, they start feeling it during sex. <laughs> I was, so I was going to <laughs> ask you that, like, if your partner could feel it, because, like, it's going to be... It's a I'm very sure soft so string. Thin. It's a very soft string. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, it also... I'm sure the partners might feel it, you know, but um, it's such a soft string. But it's also, I tell you, since the day my patient told me this thing and that I was reinserting, I removed one IUD and I inserted another one when she was telling me the story. And I said, hey, that's such a neat trick. So I tell all my patients, don't tell them. Tell them the doctors really cut the string short. Yeah, you don't have there's to nothing worry. in there. There's nothing in there. <laughs> oh, wow. And nobody... Sometimes, rarely, rarely. Maybe I would say once a year somebody would come back and say, hey, my partner feels the strength. So in that case, I would go put the speculum back in and just cut it shorter mm -hmm. and reassure the patient. The string is there for removal, right? Yes. Is that just so you can kind of grip Not it? Not only removal. The patient can actually do, like when you insert the tampon, something similar, you can insert a finger and see, feel the string and make sure the IUD is in place. Oh, yeah. Okay. It's reassuring to the patient. Yeah. Like, all right, still in there, still doing yeah. his job. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Exactly. So it serves both the purposes, actually. So is there a way that it can kind of scoot its way out? And sometimes, you know, I've had patients uh, where I've inserted this not only for contraception, but for very heavy bleeding. And this patient actually brought the IUD back to me because the clots were so heavy, it just came out with the clot. The wow. IUD just got pushed out. So can it come out? It does come out sometimes, or it gets lower and when you do a speculum for a follow-up, and I typically call the patients in three months, and when I do a speculum to see, I see the lower portion of the IUD along with the string. You know, If it's lower, is that not gonna work? So, or it's just gonna be in the way of? It, well, the copper IUD is definitely not gonna work. 
because it's sitting in the canal. Mm-hmm. With the um, hormonal IUD, if it's in the lower part of the uterus, still it should do its job because its job is working through the hormones, yeah. not just, you know. So um, it's, it's, it, but the recommendation is to switch it. Yeah. You know, like if it's, if you think this is really low, idea is to, because you know, you can always get pregnant with the pregnancy in the right place and the IUD. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, if it's lower. Okay. So it's placed, strings are cut. Is there anything you need to know about afterwards? Like I said, I was kind of reading some people's journeys and people were talking about being like dizzy after or, or stuff like that. Like, true, happen? true, true. Um, uh, one of my young girls, um, after I inserted, we call this as like a Valsalva, where the patient is like, one, she's so nervous, right? And then yeah. you have just inserted something. So the body responds where the patient is like, oh, you know, and just kind of, oh, I feel nauseous, like a little I'm faint. dizzy, faint, yeah. you know. Um, in that case, we just lay the patient down, you know, and get some water. 99.9% of the time, patients are fine. Mm-hmm. Yes, you have to, um, if it's in, an incredibly difficult insertion and you've just been at it and you've done it, then you have to make sure the patient's okay um, because you don't want to perforate because that's one of the you know complications of insertion. You can perforate the uterus. Remember, I was telling you, you can, you have to feel the fundus, but mm-hmm. you know, it can go through, it can, you know. So you can stick it, it could accidentally, I guess, go through the uterus? Is that what Correct. you're saying? Oh, exactly. you don't want that. Yeah. It's That's rare. Very rare, it's right? It's really, yeah. really rare, but it has happened. Yeah. I. What happens if that happens? Well, if there's a perforation, then you have to bring the patient to the operating room, see, and do a laparoscopy, and then remove, retrieve the IUD. Because it, if there's a perforation, it can go into the belly, right? Oh, my gosh. But it's a very tiny perforation. Typically, most patients do fine. Yeah. Typically. I have been lucky, knock on the wood, no perforation so far. So I really didn't have to do it. And I've been in practice for more than 12 years. All right. Dr. Mishra's got it down. Um, All right. So it's in place. You're good. You go home. Is there like a time limit on like when it starts to be active or is once it's in, you're ready to go? Yeah, because that's exactly what all patients will ask, right? Can I have sex tonight? (laughs) Ready. (laughs) That's the first question. Okay. As soon as she's dressed and ready. Um, And if it is inserted during a period or fourth or fifth day of the period, it's fine. Mm-hmm. It's active because by the time you ovulate, it's two weeks, right? Mm-hmm. And it's right. already. But if it's inserted mid-cycle and you don't know, you know, the recommendation is to wait two weeks. Right. So I guess if, or use if a it was inserted while you were, I guess your uterine lining was like full and ready for an egg to come in, that that's the issue, right? Because then the IUD didn't do its job of like making... Exactly. environment, right? Exactly. <laughs> You've done your homework. Yeah. All right. Yeah. 
Okay. All right. So that's cool. So it's working right away. Well, I depending always on recommend timing. use a backup method of contraception like condoms for the first two weeks won't hurt. Yeah. Now remember, all this will not prevent um, STDs. STDs. Correct, everybody. So before insertion, before doing, you know, the making it uh, sterile, the area sterile with betadine, we always do a culture. Mm-hmm. You know, make sure there's no chlamydia, gonorrhea, nothing there. Um, and, you know, if it does turn out to be positive, because sometimes, you know, things happen and patients are unaware, um, then we can just treat it. The recommendations to not take out the IUD. So you'd leave it and then treat and the, treat the partner and it was. the patient. Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. Okay. But we always culture. That is yeah. one important thing that I kind of didn't tell you before. Yeah. That makes sense. So for patients who are coming in and exploring different birth control options and stuff, is there one type of patient you would steer towards an IUD versus steer towards birth control pills? Or is it really just, you know, whatever they feel? I think, you know, if you know your patient well, you would know. And patients are very upfront. They will like, you know, I'm not good at taking pills, doc. I'm right. telling you right now, so don't even give me the pill. So either it's the patch or the ring or IUD, you know. They're very upfront or a shot. So my preference is an IUD because it's long-acting. It could you be know. in 21 years and you don't even know, right? <laughs> <laughs> I don't want it that long-acting, you know. That's not that's not what we want. Yeah, right? I'm kidding. Uh, but, yeah, you know, especially young kids, you know. If we have something in at age 17, and um, I'm not even saying Mirena, but even if Skylina or, you know, the uh, two-year or three-year one, it's 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 hassle-free for them. You know, they don't have to worry, oh, my God, did I take the pill today or I'm traveling today, and mm-hmm. you know. So that's one thing. Or um, it's a fantastic contraceptive for patients when they've just had a child and they want to space their second kid say you don't have to keep it in for seven years there's no yeah that was going to be my next question about if you if you're you know thinking of a pregnancy in a year or two is it is it worth doing an iud absolutely yeah absolutely it is absolutely worth doing it because then um you know two years three years down the line you can take it out yeah when you're ready for the next pregnancy and till then you're so hassle-free I always tell all my patients, hey, you're going to save on so much money, right? No, you don't have to buy big pads, no tampons, because, you know, you're yeah. not bleeding that much. And A it lot of perks. To them. A lot of perks. It appeals to them. <laughs> Definitely. Great. So patients who come in, do they have any other questions that maybe we didn't cover about, you know, what to expect or just anything about the experience? I think, I think... The one thing that everybody asks, will it affect my fertility? Oh, duh. How did we miss that one? Right. That's, that's like the big that's, dog. That's a big dog, yeah. Um, and it really does not affect fertility. So once it comes out, if you it's, decided, you know, I want to try and have a baby, your your uterine lining is going to bounce back and say, hey, we're absolutely. good. Nothing ever happened here. Absolutely. Yeah. All right. Yeah. And it, it really, um, I've had patients who got pregnant the following month within two months you know yeah so it's very quick the turnaround is very very quick how would you compare that to other birth control methods like are there other methods that kind of 
so mess with it a little more. Well, sometimes the pills can um, give you a month or two, you know, without getting pregnant because it affects your hormones. It really suppresses them. So it takes time to bounce back. Mm -hmm. This is not working at that level. So it bounces back quicker. Yeah, that's good. So yeah, so that's one of the most important things that most patients will ask. And um, of course, everybody's very nervous. Like what if it the most important thing they've heard all these various stories you know oh it goes into it was somewhere else they had to do surgery to take it out it's extremely rare mm -hmm. i tell patients you know i have yet to remove a iud from the belly and knock on the wood i should knock every wood i think but <laughs> yeah <laughs> all know. around here yeah so it's not the most common that it's yeah. migrating but the internet is unfortunately full of only those kind of stories. Yeah, it doesn't a lot of tell you mongering out there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It doesn't tell you all the success, the successful stories that hey, I was able to space my kids. Hey, I was able to, you know, right? Um, have like correct my anemia because you know I'm not bleeding that much. Mm. You know, I was able to do what I needed to do because I didn't have to worry about a period. You yeah. Know? So all those good things nobody talks about, but the, definitely the patients will come back with stories, you know, hey, uh, it, it, they, it was in her bladder or some various, various stories like that, you know. Right. I always reassure them, like, I have not done any. I've not even seen any in yeah. this hospital, you know, so. Yeah, I think the other thing that I was seeing at one point in the feed of everything was just like, people talking about it being like painful and they, you know, try and tell you it's not painful and all that. So there's, I guess there's mixed reviews of like pain tolerance and how people feel. I've read that, you know, people are equating it to like a, a slight cramp, like feeling like you're cramps Correct. or something. So I guess it's probably different I, for everyone. I always tease patients, you know, like they're saying, oh, I'm getting like a menstrual cramp. I said, thank God, because it's in the right place. That's what it means. Well, there you, you go. Know, it's not in the rectum. And they start, <laughs> they burst out laughing. You know, we've done our job, right? Yeah. Because, oh, you know, uterus is a muscle, remember. Mm -hmm. And the reflex for any muscle is to contract. If I come and touch your thigh, you'll be like, hey, what are you doing? You know, <laughs> it jumps. Right. You know, same yeah. thing. Uterus is a muscle. Mm -hmm. We're trying to insert something inside. It will contract. Right. It will right away cramp up. Right. You know? And patients are very relaxed when I tell them, hey, good good thing. Thank God you're cramping. Yeah. That means I've done a good job. Yeah. And they're like, oh, okay, fine. Yeah. I think it's all about just setting that expectation too, like letting yeah. them know. Yeah. You know? I, a lot of times will tell, especially my young kids, you know, like, hey, make sure you take some Motrin before you come in, mm. you know? So that helps relax them a little bit better. Right. Very rarely do I use a medication which will help open up the cervix a little bit. Very rarely. Right. Yeah. Most of the times the, the diameter of the tubing, you know, maybe three or four millimeters is like easy to, it just walks in. Yeah. For lack of a better word, it just walks in. <laughs> That's good. That's <laughs> what know? we like to hear, you know, not yeah. nothing too hard. So patients looking to come in do they need to contact their insurance company beforehand or is it typically just you know something that would be covered it it is typically covered 
typically covered. And we do at the office, we will contact their insurance, make sure it's covered before we insert. In fact, uh, but it's the companies are going out of their way to give us on the spot coverage on, you know, like you go online, you insert it. I mean, you uh, put in the patient's stuff. Immediately, they will tell you if the patient's covered or not. Mm -hmm. And I've yet to see a patient that is not covered. The yeah. insurance is so not then it's covering. just coming in and they have whatever their copay would be. Yeah. So Dr. Misra, I guess any final tips for anyone listening, anyone considering an IUD, um, anyone about to go get their IUD, I guess what would you send them with today? Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid of the IUD. It's a good thing. It's long acting. It's hassle free. No, you know, um, no excessive bleeding with all the perks, you'll save a lot of money, you know? Um, and you don't have to, it takes the compliance out of this. It takes the headache out of your life that, oh, I have to remember, put an alarm to take the pill. Right. I have to change the patch, I have to do this, I have to go back, oh, I'm running out of the pills again, let me call the doctor's office. Yeah. It's done, one and done. I guess just always remember, it does not prevent against STDs. So we'll leave you not. with that. Make sure you're using condoms for that. Absolutely. You got it right. Thank you so much. We really appreciate it. It was super insightful. I have learned a lot. Hopefully everyone else did too. Yes. Thank you. It was a pleasure. The material provided through this podcast is intended to be used as general information only and should not replace the advice of your physician. Always consult your physician for individual care.